I'm amazing, uh, not too well. Is it well with your soul? This is a question that comes up in scripture. Is it well with your soul? How, how are we? How are we? Tell, tell you what, let's do this. Some of you are going to hate me for this. I don't care. Um, let's take like 30 seconds. Turn to someone next to you. Like no one gets out of this. Turn to someone next to you and just ask the question, look them in the eyes and say, how are you doing? No, like, how are you really? (laughs) And let's just kind of connect with each other for a moment. Go for it, 30 seconds. Okay. I'm good, thank you for asking. Oh gosh. (laughs) Okay. Now I realize that, I mean, given another like 30 minutes, that could have actually been like, like meaningful and we could have, we could have talked and, and actually prayed for each other um, and perhaps we, we can do that later. Um, perhaps you can join an ecclesia and you can do that for real. That's, that's, that's kind of the point that we would take it beyond the rows and that we would get in circles over a meal. Um, but I mean that genuinely. How are we as a church? Like how, how are we doing? Um, you know, we're, we're coming up on our we, we launched Grace City, sort of we, we birthed the church, as it were, almost two years ago. I think technically it'll be two years in February, but we had a bit of like a ramp up kind of leading up to that. And so I reckon we're about a two-year-old church. We're a church in diapers, kind of waddling along, doing our thing. And uh, I think God is helping us. I think we're growing, and not just numerically, but I, I feel like as a community, we are, we are growing together. We're learning how to love each other well. And uh, we're learning how to, how to care for each other and to care, care for the world that we're in, Portland, as it were. And that's super encouraging. But I'm also aware of how, you know, like any family or, or thing that you're a part of, there's that initial phase where you're like, oh, it's new, it's awesome, and I'm really excited about it. And, and that kind of, that can perhaps be helpful, get us off the ground a little bit. Sometimes you need that energy. It's that, that honeymoon that kind of gets you going, and that's great, it's wonderful. But then the honeymoon wanes, because that's what moons do, they go through that, that cycle. Um, and then it's, it's a bit of reality. It's like, okay, I'm still excited about this, but whew, this, this is kind of hard. The rush has sort of died off a little bit, and, and now it's like, this is a lot of work. Like learning how to be a community that's, that's centered around Jesus, that by the spirit of Christ is learning to love each other like Jesus, that's, that's a lot of work. That is work. Um, we're not earning anything from God, but by the grace of God, we are working out our salvation together. We are growing, and that's an incredible amount of work. God supplies all of the energy that we need to do that, but it is work nonetheless. How are we doing? <laughs> I realize some of you are like, I'm still good. You've asked about half a dozen times now. I'm great. Um, Awesome. So glad for you. Not everyone is. I'm very, very aware that you come into a mixed crowd like this, and it's like, actually, I don't even know why I'm here. 
Uh, this will probably be my last time. Yeah, I, that's, that's real. That's, that's real. Um, which is why we need to, to do this together. Um, and we need to ask ourselves the question again, as a church family, as a community, how are we? Like, how are we doing? Are we healthy? Are we, are we being sensitive and att- attentive to each other? Are we bearing with one another? Are we noticing each other? Are we praying for each other? How do we do that? How do we grow? How do we mature? Um, what should we be focusing on? Um, that's what I want us to explore today. In fact, we're going we're gonna to take the next few Sundays, several Sundays actually, um, to talk about well-being. How do we as a community of Jesus followers um, grow in our well-being? that we would, it would be well with our souls. And together as a church family, we would continue to grow in all of these ways. Um, so this morning, we should be in Genesis 3 by now. I wanna, I wanna actually look at almost the whole um, chapter of Genesis 3 and look at how God does this. And it's gonna set us up to, to begin a conversation that's gonna last for a little while. So here we go. Genesis 3, chapter 1. Father, help us. Amen. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He, that is the serpent, said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst or the middle of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Let's pause there quickly. Because there is so much that could be said and I reckon should be said about this passage. This in so many ways sets us up um, for beginning to understand the entirety of scripture. I mean, this is, this is the context for everything else. Um, and of course, there's chapter one and two of Genesis as well. Um, and someone told me recently that one of the reasons Genesis can, can feel slightly um, disorienting um, like questions will come to mind like, okay, who is the serpent, number one? What's he doing there? Where did he come from? Um, he's the devil. And the tree, the tree. Why, and this is, this is the, one of those million dollar questions, why would God create this beautiful garden and everything about it's perfect? He creates a man and a woman. He creates the humans, puts them in the garden to enjoy each other, to enjoy the presence of God, and it's all good. You can eat of any of the trees except for the one tree in the middle. It's right there. He doesn't even put a gate around it. Don't eat of that tree. Don't even touch it lest you die. There are several prequels to Genesis, um, and we don't know what those are, but we do know that there's a whole lot of backstory to this. And uh, someday we'll, we'll see Jesus face to face, and we'll be like, Jesus, can we get the prequels, please? 
dying to know about the serpent in the tree. But here's what God does tell us. Here's what we are meant to know. Is that humanity is created for relationship with each other and God. And it's good. In fact, it's very good. And God gives us a choice. We're not automatons. What's the word? Automatons, thank you. We're not robots. We're not programmed. We're not coerced into obeying God. God gives us the ability to respond to him. We have responsibility. We can make a choice. And it would seem it's a very real choice to trust God and submit to him as the one who gets to decide what is good and evil. Or we can doubt God. We can choose to perhaps trust ourselves over our creator, thus usurping his authority. And uh, if you've ever read the story, I think you, you know what humanity ends up doing and thus begins uh, a cataclysmic series of events, cosmic and otherwise, that we are all now living in the wake of today. Um, but it's important to know, once again, in case you just missed it, that we're talking about the decision to either trust and obey God or become the own arbiters of what's good and evil and trust ourselves and thus become our own authority and life and creation. That's, that's what we're talking about here. Let's keep going. Verse six. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened. They were enlightened. And they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. They took the bait, and immediately they became aware that they were naked and they tried to cover up. Now, if, if we were to actually back up just one verse um, from where we started, chapter two, verse 25, it says, and the man and his wife were both naked and they were not ashamed. All of a sudden, in the human's choice to doubt God and not obey him, they become aware of their nakedness and everything goes wrong. They become aware of their nakedness and they feel compelled to cover themselves up. This, this is the beginning of brokenness in human relationship. Um, why did they attempt to cover themselves well, maybe it's a stupid question. If all of a sudden, have you, have you ever had that dream? Have you had that dream? You know the dream I'm talking about? <laughs> Not had it in a while, but the one where you're like you're back in middle school and you're sitting at your desk in the classroom and all of a sudden you're like, oh my goodness, I'm not wearing clothes. I forgot to get dressed and like you don't know what to do. You're just there, you can't get up, no one's noticed. Have you had this dream? I've had this specific dream. And of course, you wanna cover up, you feel exposed. You're, you're vulnerable, 
Like in a moment, you realize, I, I, could, be, I could be hurt. I'm mortal. The people around me are now um, a potential threat. And so we feel compelled to cover ourselves. And it's not just because we're naked, because apparently that, that wasn't the problem. They were naked and there was no shame. It was all good. It's great. But then all of a sudden, because they've made that choice to become their own arbiters of good and evil, they've chosen to stop trusting God and usurp his authority. All of a sudden, they're like, I'm exposed. I'm no longer safe. I need to cover up. Thus begins the human story. Let's keep going. Verse 8. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. That word cool, some of your Bibles, most of your Bibles probably have a footnote there. It's actually, um, it's a word. It's the Hebrew word ruach. Ruach. Um, Apparently is how you say it. It's primarily translated in the Old Testament as wind. Uh, what is it? 232 times that word ruach is translated wind. I'm sorry, spirit. 232 times ruach is translated spirit. God was walking in the spirit. Uh, 92 times it's translated as wind. 27 times it's translated as breath. And one time it's translated as cool. I am no Hebrew scholar, but I find that interesting. I, don't, I actually don't like it when people are like, well, what the Hebrew really says, as if like I've just outwitted a whole room of like Hebrew scholars or something that decided that no, cool is the best word here. But I'm just saying, this, this could be some Trinity theology just showing up. Okay. Um, where were we? In the cool of the day, thank you. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. God said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat? First of all, God comes near. Adam and Eve, they've, they've rebelled. They've doubted God's goodness. They've uh, usurped his authority. And they said, no, no, no. We can decide, thank you very much, what human flourishing looks like. We will decide not just issues of morality, but like the cosmic nature of reality, good and evil, life and death. We will decide. All of a sudden, they're exposed. They feel vulnerable, so they attempt to cover up. And what does God do? He comes looking for them. This sets a major precedent for how God responds to us when we sin. 
Now, to be sure, there's other things that could be said. But here, the very outset, we see a God who begins to seek. He begins to seek in hopes to hopefully save the lost. God seeks. He comes near. Secondly, he calls out, where are you? What a brilliant question. He asks three questions. I love that. Before he starts to accuse, which I think most of us would would do, or at least we would be inclined to do, he has three questions. The first question is, where are you? Where are you at? And I don't think it's a geographical query. I think it's, it's it's, it's more of a spiritual and existential kind of question. Like, where are you at? You're not where you should be. Where are you? Normally, we would be walking together in the cool of the day. Where are you? And this is such a, what I would call a prophetic question for each one of us. Where are you? Where are you at? Where are you at? And then the man answers. I heard you, and so I was afraid. Thanks, Amber. I heard you, and so I hid. I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. This is where it gets good. He was afraid. So he hid. What do we call this? Fear is another word for it, but it's an it's an emotion. It's a it's a feeling. Now let's call it emotion. It's a better word. This, well, this is what he did. That's, that's simply action or behavior. What do we have here? He was naked. <laughs> he says, I heard you. So I was afraid because I was naked and therefore I hid. What is this? Statement of being, is that what you said? State of being? Yeah, well how else might we describe that? State of being, Uh, inner perception. How about identity? So we have some feelings going on. We have action, behavior, which is something we're always doing. But then right in the middle, we have the man and the woman who realize, of course they didn't have mirrors, but I reckon they were looking at each other and they realize all of a sudden, hang on, I'm naked 
and I feel really, really insecure. Their identity has been affected. And what does God say? Rather, what does he ask? He says, who told you that you were naked? He doesn't say, tell me about your feelings. Let's talk about your emotions. He doesn't zoom in on, well, why did you do that? He said, naked? Who told you you were naked? God goes right for the identity. This, guys, this is kind of a game changer, really. This is how we begin to grow. This is how God helps us to to be healthy. When we ask the question, is it well with your soul? It's an identity question. Where are you at in your identity? Are you seeing yourself the way God sees you? Or are you hiding? Because what you see is something that you're ashamed of. And so God goes right for the heart. He says, let's talk about your identity. And more explicitly, I want to know, who told you you're naked? Because I didn't. Uh, Isn't it true? You can disagree with me. I think it's true that we tend to uh, rather obsess over feelings these these days. Um, I think, obviously, uh, things to do with our sexuality, that's that's not going away anytime soon. A lot of talk, a lot of thought, a lot of debate, a lot of controversy, a lot of pain to do with... uh, human identity and how it relates to our sexuality. I've been listening very carefully for for quite a few years now, the conversation theologically and otherwise to do with sexuality and how as soon as you start talking about it, it has every, it's all wrapped up in our identity. But typically when the conversation goes for a little while, what we're really talking about is your feelings. Like, I feel this, I have sexual feelings, or I, have, I feel like this gender, or I feel like this attraction, or I, you understand what I'm saying? We're talking about feelings, and I, I'm not offering a critique, I'm, I'm offering an observation. We tend to think a lot about how I feel, and how that is me. That's how I identify because I feel a certain way. I feel a certain attraction. I feel a certain sort of propensity or whatever it might be. And therefore, that's who I am. That is my true self. And that is who you should accept me to be because these are my feelings and they are informing my identity, et cetera, et cetera. Um, It's my observation. I think we camp here a lot. Um, And I think it's actually degrading. I think it's degrading because there is more to human identity than just my feelings. 
Just like there's more to human identity than my actions. Sometimes I'm really proud of my actions. Sometimes I'm really ashamed of my actions. But I am not who I do. That sounded bad. (laughs) You guys know what I mean. I am not what I do. There's something else. There's something here. And that's where God wants to, that's where he wants to go. That's what he wants to talk about. Now, that's not to say feelings don't matter. Obviously, feelings are a big part of who I am. I feel all the time. I think all the time. These are, these are important, essential parts of who I am. Absolutely. In fact, these are also super important. You can't be like, oh, it doesn't matter what you do. You know, it's just God sees your heart. That's, that's, that's dumb. That's so dumb. Now, all of these things matter, but these, I believe, flow out of identity. My feelings and actions will always sort of default according to my identity, who I am. And the big question is, who gets to decide? Who told you that you were naked? God did not. God did not. The man and the woman began to trust in a different authority. And it was freaking them out. God wants to address our identity. Let me just read this. We try so hard to create our own sense of identity. That's the fig leaf metaphor, clearly. And it's never quite secure enough. God wants to define us. God wants to speak to our soul and say, this is who you're meant to be. We were created to actually embody or rather reflect the very character of God as a man and woman in community. It's important. God wants to define us. He wants to clothe us, to give us an identity that is rooted in knowing, trusting, loving, being loved, and submitting to him as his children. This, this is, um, let me go New Testament for a second. This is what uh, the New Testament writers, this is what God says in, for example, Galatians 3, verses 26 and 27, when it says, in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith, for all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with him. Um, Paul who also wrote a letter to the Romans, says in Romans 13, verses 12 to 14, let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ. And do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. When God meets 
the humans in the garden and he asked them the question, who told you you were naked? He's looking at the fig leaves, saying, who dressed you? Who did your outfit? What, what, are you, what are you trying to do? And this is what we do, is it not? We become aware of how vulnerable and exposed and insecure we are when, when we are our own God, when it all rides on my ability to discern what's good, what's evil. And we become insecure because we have no sure foundation. It's always shifting. It always depends on what culture is saying, what my friend is saying, what my boss is saying, what my parents said or didn't say or should have said. And we're just like slipping and sliding on this wobbly, insecure foundation so we desperately reach for something to cover ourselves up with. And it could be anything. You know, it could be our, our career. It could be our relationships. I mean thousand different things. Ironically, some of us, I think, attempt to cover ourselves up by taking our clothes off because that's when you feel most loved. And God says, what are you doing? Who told you you were naked? Take the fig leaves off. Let me clothe you. Let me define you and it requires trust and a willingness to submit to obey and that's important because I think sometimes we'll, we'll, we'll tell ourselves this God I'll trust you as long as I agree with you as long as you agree with what I think is good and evil then, then we can get along then I will trust you but if you challenge me and my, um, you know, my enlightened ways, oh, then we might have a problem. I might just go find a new God. How about that? Oh, we do that all the time. So we need to trust, uh, believe, because God is good and trustworthy, and we need to obey him. Because he is God, and we're not. Not just because he agrees with my, my theology or the way I think the world should be. Because let's face it, I mean, you don't have to be a historian to pick up a history book and realize, like, look, we live in a nutty world, crazy world. I mean, there's nothing new under the sun. There is nothing special about our city or about our time. The world has always been a nut house. And, and culture is constantly shifting, whether you're talking about South Africa, um, which is where my wife is from. Pretty interesting history. Some uh, special things done in the name of religion not, not too long ago in that country. Um, God did some amazing things to bring about redemption in that place. But popular culture agreed. It's pretty good to be a racist because that's just God's will. Sound doctrine. Good majority of a nation, maybe not majority. That's the world we live in. And we think that, oh, well, our culture's saying this, and so we must agree, and, and God's got to get on board because we got to get progressive, and yada, yada, yada. And God's like, no, I'm God. Trust me, I've seen it all before. 
I know what's good and evil. I designed you. You want to flourish? You want to experience healthy, whole life and relationship? Trust me and submit to my authority. I will teach you how to live and experience full, lasting, even eternal life. But you've got to come to me. Let me dress you. Jesus, the divine human, the new Adam, the son who lived in complete trust and submission to his heavenly father, died for us, trading his life, his garment of beauty and security for our fig leaves and our little pile of ashes. That's what we call the divine exchange. And that's how we're clothed in Christ. And I know some of you might be thinking, like, what does that mean? We're going to talk about it in the weeks to come. Let's finish Genesis 3. He said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit, the fruit of the tree and I ate. Classic blame shift. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me better and I ate. And we're going to stop right there this morning. Genesis 3 verse 11, who told you that you were naked? And this is the, the, the third question. Did you eat of the tree that I told you not to eat? What is he doing? He's inviting confession. He's giving them a chance to confess. How does the man do? Not super good. He, he, he kind of starts to confess, but then somehow ends up blaming God and the woman. Not the best confession. Oh, yeah, and I ate it. Okay, good for you, good for you. And then God says, all right, woman, what, what have you done? The, the serpent deceived me. True. And that, that, we could say a whole lot about evil. And we will in the weeks to come. Evil happened. I was tempted. I was lied to. I was deceived. And, yes, she takes responsibility. I ate it. I ate it. And then everything goes wrong. A couple of semi-confessions. Repentance hasn't entered into the picture yet. But an attempt at confession. Guys, for us, um, this is our starting point. We can, when we think about our insecurities, we think about who am I? I don't know, who am I? Sometimes you have to consider your actions and your feelings to, to kind of begin answering that question. Sometimes you need to stay, take a step back and be like, okay, what's, what's going on in my life? If I'm constantly blame shifting and critiquing the people around me, if I'm constantly in a state of defensiveness and reacting out of anxiety and fear and a sense of insecurity, okay, that, that might tell me something about the state of my soul. 
then what? So oftentimes, and I'm going to emphasize this point, as a church community, I see people come in, and, and we work really hard to like, hey, let's take off our fig leaves. We'll have like a little basket at the door. Leave fig leaves here, and we'll just, we'll just all be naked together. <laughs> Super awkward. Um, and we'll be vulnerable. And we'll come before God, and we'll say, okay, here I am. Yes, I feel, but here's what happens. All of a sudden, we're like, ah, I'm naked. I, I'm, I'm vulnerable. And, and we panic, and we do exactly what the man did, and we start to blame God and the person who's supposed to be like my partner in this, my best friend. And we do that. We do that to the church all the time. We come in here, ah, I feel vulnerable. God must hate me, or this church must be evil, or Simon's a heretic. <laughs> No, no, I, I like the Bible. We believe that the Bible is God's word and we want to trust him and submit to his authority according to his word. But there's something about feeling naked we quickly begin to blame everyone around us. There must be something wrong with these people. Mm, well, yeah, we're all sitting here naked we all got our problems, but no, no. Who told you that you're naked? Who lied to you? Who told you you're ugly? Who told you you're stupid? Who told you that just because you feel a certain way, that's who you are? Who told you that? Because God wants to tell you something different. God wants to clothe us. By the way, this is how chapter three ends. Um, If we skip just forward a little bit, it says in verse 20, the man called his wife's name Eve. That's where I get my daughter's namesake. Because she was the mother of all living. Verse 22, and the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. It's a foreshadowing how God intends to clothe all of his children. If we'll come to him, when it begins with confession.